Hey everybody, this is Josh Schultz. I'm the pastor at Mountain View Lutheran in uh, Great Falls, Montana. And Nate. Oh, and I'm Nathan <laughs> at Illumin in Rock Hill. Uh, thanks for Good to be here. chiming in there. Uh, and Nate and I are having this conversation together. Um, we are, this is our, our devotion for the day, our, our time in God's word. Um, wrestling with it, talking about talking about what it means for us in our lives. And we want to include you in the conversation. And uh, we hope that this is a blessing and that in all things that you would see just how much God loves you here in John chapter 20. Uh, we are on the Sunday after Sunday evening of Easter. So Jesus rose and he appeared uh, to the women and uh, he has appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now he is appearing to the disciples. Um, and so, Nate, if you want to read verses 19 through, are you going to read through 29 or 31? Just 29. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah. On, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. Thank you. Uh, when you look at this, Nate, especially like initially when they're there together, the disciples are behind locked doors because they're afraid. Uh, let's talk about, you know, where were the disciples at? Like, not like, not physically, location-wise, but where were they at, like, mentally, spiritually, emotionally? Well, I, uh, they all run together, but like you said, they were afraid. Um like I and I, I can only assume they're afraid of. Well, no, it says they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. Um, so, like the people who killed Jesus, they're afraid they're going to come for them too, because um, they're not content just killing Jesus. Um, so afraid, and I, I think they're probably confused um, spiritually. Maybe like are they? They're not sure what to believe. And I admit this may just be conjecture. So um, like they're not sure what to believe the, 
Mary Magdalene told them in the morning, I've seen the Lord. Um, they didn't necessarily believe that. Um, the disciples from Emmaus, they back yet? They're back already. Yeah. Right? When, I, when I look at that too, like that they had heard the reports because it were told like what in Luke 24, right? That they had come to, that they had told the other disciples what had happened. The, the two people who right. met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Right, so they're hearing that report too. Yeah, and they had already, they'd probably already gotten that report. Because um, Luke 24 says they got up, returned to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Mm-hmm. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. And then Luke t- says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood so among them was, and said to them. So I think interesting there that we don't know much about the fact that, like, he appeared to Simon Peter for understood reasons. Peter was the one who denied him. And that Jesus, in love, like, he appears to him specifically, individually. And we don't, and we don't know, Scripture doesn't, Besides this reference, scripture doesn't give us any details on what that meeting was like. Right. Yeah. Um, in First Corinthians 15, verse 5, it says, he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the 12. So, mm-hmm. yeah, at some point between Sunday morning and him appearing to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Yeah, I'm, I have no idea. I mean, it doesn't matter. I have no idea. And I've never really thought about why scripture doesn't record that, but. Mm-hmm. But it's just that. like, I think when you look at it, you see Jesus in his wisdom, he spontaneously and strategically in his 40 days from his resurrection to his ascension, like he was just appearing, right? Appearing to them. He wasn't, you know, hey, I'm here. And then like, all right, let's spend the next 40 days together where it was like, you know, a timeline where it's even hard for us to put together and it's not important to put together a timeline, but I think it's really important to understand like each and every follower of Jesus, each and every disciple, they, when they, when they got it, when they believed, when they understood, like they're all running on a a different timeline. They all had a different experience. And that's why like, even when you look at this, like Peter's in the room and you know, he already had clarity because of Jesus. I'm guessing the Emmaus disciples were there with him. And, you know, because it, it doesn't say anything just the 12. Um, but it's like, there was some, there's a lot, there was, there was certainty there, but there was doubt uh, in others. There was confusion all around because they didn't know exactly what this means. And two, you know, the big thing, there was guilt. And that's what we're leading into here is how Jesus greets them. Like there was guilt over what had been mm. done when they deserted Jesus, when they fled, when Peter denied him. And uh, look what Jesus says right away. He walks in. Or I shouldn't say he walks in. He appears, right? And the first thing he says, and this is so powerful and important. He says, peace be with you. Right? Think of. Think of the impact and the, you know, the weight lifted off them when Jesus walked in and said, peace be with you. 
Yeah, because he could have said he could have said a lot of different things. How could you? Could where, well, how that. could you? Where were you? You should have known better. Right, like, hey guys, thought you were gonna stay with me. Yeah. Only John and my mommy were with me at the cross. Where were y'all? And just when he says, it's just it's so powerful where, you know, he doesn't say, I forgive you, although that is in the peace be with you. It's the fact that like whatever attention, whatever hostility was between us, now there's peace. And most importantly, peace be with you, meaning this peace, you know, from God that the angels proclaimed when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you know, peace on earth and, you know, the kingdom he had been bringing here to this world, the kingdom of God, like it was all about bringing peace between mankind, sinful mankind and God himself. And now after doing that, after dying for the sins of the whole world, for each and every one of their sins, for all of our sins, rising, proving that everything that on Good Friday counted for our eternal salvation and our forgiveness, Jesus stands and says, because of everything I just did, peace be with you. You have peace. Yeah, and um, maybe this is going back to your original question, but where were they at mentally, spiritually, like even after, so they, they, they had just heard a report that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now they see Jesus, and yet two weeks in a row, they're behind locked doors. And I, I can't help but think ahead to Pentecost and what a difference there is between these scared disciples locked in a room, hidden away, and then Pentecost out in the open talking to thousands and thousands of people clearly like just what a what a difference and I, I i guess i don't have any specific application from that but um even even them and they had been through so much um and i think i think i don't know would you be comfortable saying it was wrong of them to to have the doors locked because they're scared of the jewish leaders i yeah, I know what you're you're saying. And there's they're afraid of the Jewish leaders when you look at that, you know, were they gonna kill them? Also the Jewish leaders assumed in I think it's in Matthew that the disciples would steal Jesus' body and that's why they put the guards there at the tomb. And they probably were afraid too that they were gonna come and get arrested for the accusation of stealing Jesus' body. So I mean it was it wrong for them to be behind locked doors? I wouldn't say it was wrong for them to do that. I think, I think them just kind of, you know, I think the worst part is them just like being confused and so doubtful and like just holding themselves up after seeing the tomb empty, knowing that Jesus had promised he would do just that. So I think if there's any fault, it's that. And that's again, why Jesus mm -hmm. comes and says, peace be with you. Uh, you want to get to verse uh, 23? Yeah. So um, Jesus, yeah, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so uh, when we look at this, this is, he's not just giving this to the disciples, this uh, command and this authority, but he's giving it to the church as a whole. He's giving it to all believers. Uh, we call this, 
you know, in our theology, you know, the terms that we give different teachings and doctrines in the Bible, we call this uh, the keys, the ministry of the keys, right? And, and the thought is, if you uh, don't forgive somebody their sins, uh, their sins stay on them. You know, it's like a locking mechanism. Or if when we forgive people their sins, we're taking their sins off of them. That's unlocking. That's why we call it the keys. But just when you look at this, it's like Jesus wins and earns all the forgiveness. He gives that forgiveness to us by faith to the church. And now he gives us the church. And so we're not, when we say the church, we're not just talking about like an earthly one specific, you know, uh, public yeah, we're, talking about, we're talking about all Christians, all Christians, all believers, and that is who makes up the church. And so to say, like, he gives that authority for you when somebody sins against you and then they then they repent, they say, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. Like for you to have the authority in the name of Jesus to say, I forgive you. Right. And Jesus says in Matthew 18 that when that happens here on earth, it, it, it it's good. It's a it's a done deal in heaven. And it's just like we carry that, you know, when I say power, like that healing medicine of forgiveness. And that is the purpose and work of the church, is it not? Right? To tell people in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for you, you are forgiven. I forgive you. Um, it's not something that's sourced in ourselves. It's Jesus is the one. Comes from, it comes from God. It comes based on everything Jesus did for us. And it's ours to distribute, you know, as we proclaim the gospel, as we specifically forgive people their sins. And it's just like, man, um, we have the best job in the world. Yeah. Every, every single Christian. It's not, it's not just the apostles. It's not just pastors. Um, it's every, every single Christian can do this um, and should do this. And maybe must do this, yeah. Well, because um, Jesus, Jesus sends us to do that. And when you talk about like should or must, it's like it is an obligation, is it not? Like to say, yeah, a wonderful obligation. Yeah, like and it, it, and it's not really an obligation in the sense like, oh, I got to do the laundry. Like, right. no, I get to right whatever your favorite task in the whole world is. Mm-hmm. That's this. Um. You know, it's, and, a ta- it's a task because it's expected of you, but it's it's a joy and a privilege because God, like, it's not a have to, it's a I get to, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and when you talk about it of, you know, like a duty, it's the fact that, and this is, I think, really when it comes to our, you know, interpersonal relationships with fellow Christians, you know, I think specifically of like a husband and a wife, a parent and their kids, um, you know, Christian friends to say, like, it is so hard for somebody because we're filled with pride to come up and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. What I did was sinful against you. Like, it takes so much guts for somebody to come and do that and humility. And and Jesus says, when, when that happens, um, this is your time where I expect you in joy and in love. You need to tell them they're forgiven and uh what and we've been on the other side of that of asking for forgiveness and it's just like a a huge weight lifted off of you being like (laughs) they forgive me we're good peace be with you Hmm. 
Yeah, I heard I heard someone say the three best words in the English language, and this could be debated, but I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Like to hear someone say that to you, there's there's nothing nothing really better. Or well, I think Rachel and I, um, my wife and I, we talk about this, and I share this with the people at our church. It's just like you know, the people in your life, they need to know that you love them. Very true. I'm not diminishing that at all. Uh, A lot of times I think like the the most important words in a marriage are I love you, right? And then showing that love. True. But for me, in our experience, Rachel and I talk about this. It's just like, no, I think three most important words are I forgive you, right? Because if they don't know that you forgive them, they can say, I love you as much as you want. I love you, but I'm still holding this against you. Right. I'm still holding this over your head. It's just like, no, release them from that. I forgive you. Yeah. 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 And uh, this is a pet, a pet peeve of mine. And I've, my wife and I have worked hard at it and I maybe say it too much, but I don't really think I say it too much. Don't say it's okay. Or don't worry about it. That is not, that is not the same as forgiveness. Like Jesus did not say, he didn't say it's okay. It's not okay. He had to die. Like, it's not just okay. It's better than okay. He took them and threw them into the depths of the sea. Your sins, that is. Uh, like, don't ever tell someone it's okay. And I, I'm going off a little bit here. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why we say that is because I would rather, because when someone says, I'll, I'll put myself as the one who sinned. Like, if I sin against you, and then you say, it's okay, that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. But if, if I sin against you and you say, I forgive you, then I have to acknowledge the reality of my sin. Because in order for you to forgive me, there has to be something that you're forgiving. Mm-hmm. And for you to say, it's okay, it's just kind of shoving it under the rug. Right. Because we do, we, we do that. We put, we put sins and tension and things like that, like in the closet and... We all know from our physical stuff. I'm looking at my office right now. I got a closet over here that like it just piles up, right? And it's it's not going anywhere. But for like when you say it's okay, you're putting it in a closet. When you say I forgive you, you are literally taking that thing and burning it up or ripping it up or throwing it away, never to be seen again. Like that's when Jesus says, when God says that He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's just like it is it's a removal. It's a it's it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's it's more comfortable for me. It's less comfortable for me to say to you, I forgive you. Cause I don't wanna I don't even want to acknowledge like it's just not a comfortable thing to say I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Um but say it. Um and then I I know we, we said earlier we weren't gonna go too deep into it, but I gotta say something about the second half. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And let me preface it by saying if you're listening to this, like talk to me or Josh, if we're your pastor, talk to your own pastor more about it to, to talk about it deeper. But this is the, I said in my sermon on Sunday, this is maybe the hardest thing in the world to do. Mm-hmm. And as much joy as there is in telling someone your sins are forgiven, there's like no joy at all in telling someone. And it has to be a Christian that you tell this to. Um, and I won't go into why we could talk about that another time, but he's talking about to, to a Christian, if you don't forgive them, um, no, what is it? First Corinthians five, where Jesus, where Paul says, 
let God judge those outside the church. It's our job to judge those inside. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a person in your church or another Christian that you know, and they, they call themselves a Christian and they're sinning blatantly over and over and over again, and they don't, and they've made it clear to you that they don't care Mm -hmm. and that they're not struggling at all. um, That's the situation where you're announcing to them, Hey, based on what you've said, I'm really concerned about you that you're refusing Jesus's forgiveness because you're not repenting at all from what you've told me. And like, it is a last resort to tell someone you're not forgiven, but the goal of it, the goal of it is to get them to realize their situation and to say, sorry, And then as soon as they do, as soon as they realize their sin, as soon as there's any sign of struggle or repentance at all, then you get to flip over and say, I forgive you. And that's, that's the best. Right. And when you talk about like, we use the term repent and I think we need to, and what is repentance? It's this, it's this sorrow over sin, Mm -hmm. over what we've done, which we feel over and over again, hearing God's word, having our conscience living within us. It's that sorrow that I sin against God. I sin against others. But then the second part of it is faith that, you know, I trust that what I did, the sin I committed, that it is forgiven by Jesus because of what he, he did for me. And I trust that. Um, And when somebody isn't repentant, what we're saying is they are not sorry for their sin. Right. They might say like, yeah, God's word says this, that I shouldn't be doing this, but you know what? I don't care. And when they do that, are they really trusting and believing in the forgiveness that Jesus won them if they don't even think that they need forgiveness? Right. And that's when we tell somebody you're not forgiven because you're not repentant. It's to lead them to a place where there is a good and godly sorrow over sin. And then there is, the whole goal is to lead them to know that they are forgiven. And so it's, it kind of sounds counterintuitive. You tell somebody that they're not forgiven so that in the end they'll know they are forgiven. It's just like, yeah, exactly. Like our goal is always to release people from their sins because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Um, it's always out of love. And you want to talk about this being the hardest thing to do. Very true. It's just like as a parent, I mean, we have young kids, but it's like it's very hard as a parent, especially as they get older, to discipline your kids because it's going to hurt, right? It's going to, it's going to cut deep for them in so many ways to take something away, however you discipline them. Um, But to say, like, the whole goal is to turn them to something better. And it's it's always out of love. Like, if you enjoy telling somebody they're not forgiven, uh, maybe you should stop. You shouldn't be doing it. Right. If it, like, if you have, it's like, all right, here's my chance. I'm going to tell them they're not forgiven and they're going to be miserable. If that's your heart, you know, you're the person in the wrong. Uh, But that's not our heart in Christ. Yeah. 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 And if if you want to read more about this or discuss it more, go read Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18. Um. Yeah. All right. I think we uh, I think we covered that pretty thoroughly. Should we let's say just, a, just a... let's talk about Thomas real quick? Yes. Uh, true or false? Christians today are too hard on Thomas. Doubting I, Thomas. I say true. I agree with you. It's not much of a discussion. Um, now, Thomas was at fault. Absolutely. Like Thomas should have believed. 
right? Thomas should have believed based on all the evidence, like not only, you know, reasonably, logically, like everybody's saying the same thing, dude, like stop doubting, like all the evidence from the eyewitness accounts are there. And he says, no. And then spiritually too, right? He was just being obstinate. He was just being like, no, I'm basing everything off of what's put in front of my face, which you can make an argument that that's, that's, that sounds like rank atheism, meaning like I only will believe what I see. Um, and as, and the reason why I say we're too hard on him is because when we say like, oh, Thomas, how could you, like, you should have known better, which is true. I see myself all the times that I've doubted God, right? He was hearing the word of God from eyewitness accounts that Jesus had arisen and he didn't believe. And how many times in, in my way, not that I think that the Bible is, is wrong or not true, but it's just like, it's that attitude of, you know, my, my faith is saving because it's not a work I do, but yet that faith, that trusting aspect of faith, it's, it's very weak sometimes. And uh, so I doubt, I mean, we all doubt God in our own ways and in so many ways. And to say, uh, when I see Thomas, I see myself. And, and then when I look at that, I'm like, look at the love that Jesus showed Thomas. I, if there's anybody, there's two guys. If there's anybody that Jesus should have been like, I'm done with you. So you had your chance. It would have been Peter and Thomas. And then moving, yep. for, moving forward in the account in Acts, it should have been Paul. But yet look at the love and the patience and the adamant forgiveness and persistent forgiveness that Jesus showed these men, right? That Jesus didn't have to show up a second time to, you know, so Thomas would be there, but he did because he loved Thomas. Just like Jesus is so patient with me. And uh, the only reason I'm here today talking to you as a fellow Christian is because of the patience and love and forgiveness of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Uh, that the last word? Well, I, I no. So I, two two things maybe. I don't think Thomas was any different than the other disciples. Like they did not, they, they, they had their doubts until Jesus appeared to them right. too. So they were in the same boat, but John just gives us the details. Right. Um, like John doesn't give us the details of like verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. Um, and we don't, we don't, hear their exact response to her um here in john um but i mean verse 20 when it says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the lord um that would lead us to say i think we could say that they weren't um overjoyed before that um and like if you go to luke 24 verse 11 it says but the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense mm -hmm. um so Look, they're in the same boat. And then secondly, uh, Jesus knew. So here's a miracle. Jesus knew exactly the three things that Thomas said he had to have. And Jesus went straight to him and gave him those exact three things. Because um, if you compare verses 25, verse 25 to verse 27, the exact same thing. He said, unless I see the nail marks in my hands, Jesus said, see my hands. Unless I put my finger where the nails were, Jesus says, put your finger here. Right. And then, and put my hand into his side. Jesus says, reach out your hand, put it into my side. Um, 
Thomas says, unless I see all that, I will not believe. Jesus does those three things and then says, stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas, to his credit, to the Holy Spirit's credit, says right away, my Lord and my God. And you see, uh, like you see Jesus filling the gaps of Thomas's Mm. faith. And it's the same way of just like, isn't that what Jesus does with us through his word again and again and again? Like, I've got gaps and Jesus fills them. Yeah. And here we get the blessing of seeing the exact gaps that Jesus filled right. in our lives. I, I, you know, we're, we're not always going to see, oh, Jesus gave me exactly what I needed earlier today when I was really, you know, full of anxiety about something or when I was really like, we don't, we don't, we don't see that every time, but rest assured it's true every time. Cause that's what Jesus does. All right. You want to pray? Close this in. I would love to pray. I like praying. Praying is a good thing. Let's pray. (laughs) I don't know. Did I pray last time or did you? I I forget. Well, because this podcast is nothing else if not the height of equality. I'm just kidding. I'll I'll pray. I don't I don't care who prayed last time. All right, you asked me to pray. All right, Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for appearing to the disciples, for appearing to Thomas, for filling in the gaps of Thomas's faith. Thank you for appearing to us through your word um, and filling in all the gaps of our faith, um, whether we realize it or not. Uh, thank you for giving us the, the task, the obligation, but the privilege of telling people that their sins are forgiven, that, that they're at peace with you, just like we are at peace with you. Um, thank you for making us at peace with you and let that joy of the peace we have with you, uh, let that overflow so that we carry out our, all of our tasks in life uh, with joy, um, with joy and freedom of knowing that no matter what, we're at peace with you. Uh, Thanks for this time in your word together. Um, Bless Josh and his church. Bless me and my church. Bless everyone listening. Um, In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.